and welcome to Ace Comicals 143. Um, we're back. It's the new year. We've got a bunch of exciting stuff to get through today. Um, and uh, today I have both my co-hosts in a, a rare, um, rare occurrence, a rare kind of like, uh, what do you call it? Like confluence of spheres or something. I don't know. Like, what, what do you want to call it? <laughs> yeah, the rare trifecta. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I have both my co-hosts today and, uh, we're going to talk through about some interesting comics. So, I mean, like Rahul, we've not had you on for ages. Feels like. When was the last time we had you on the cast? Sorry. The reason I wasn't responding is because I was choking and dying. And that's possibly, ah. that's a portion of the reasons that I haven't been on the cast for a while is that I like, I just kept losing my voice for a long time and it seems to be happening again. Uh, I'm not sure why. Maybe it's just being sat in this chair and talking don't know what it is but yeah it's been a while and i can't remember the last thing we recorded together so it's nice to be back and it's nice to have been given a renewed interest in reading some fresh comics that i you know yeah. um have been on my slate and like also i just realized like I, I was doing the thing that i used to do about a year ago where i was checking oh what's come out in the last two weeks that we can pick up and you know talk about and like i don't recognize any of the names i don't recognize any of the artists and illustrators and writers and stuff and it's like I have to relearn all of this stuff. It's kind of exciting. I feel like it's, uh, I've gone over the hump of like being stressed out about keeping up with all this stuff. And like now I can re-find this old hobby that's now a new hobby to me. It's kind of cool. So yeah. That's awesome, actually. I like that. Yeah, it's been kind um, of nice <laughs> sifting, sifting through stuff and picking yeah. what I want to read. Um, yeah. You've not felt that for a while. The wheel turns. Um, and... I've been I've been sort of like absorbing that stuff ambiently like I've been seeing people promote things and I've been like steady seeing the flow of like new comics hitting the shelves and stuff but I've been less interested in the new and and this is this is going to be something I think this is this is going to be my theme for this year I've been less interested in the new and more interested in going backwards and like finding things that are in this like endless sea of of like amazing shit that has just been like that's just there that rather than looking ahead and seeing the scant few things that i enjoy that are coming out i'm going backwards and seeing all the things i missed so i'm, I'm diving back a little bit rather than going for new stuff i'm diving back into old runs i'm looking for things that i may have missed previously things that i might find interesting things that i think you guys might find interesting that i can dig up from the past hopefully uh, one of the other things I'm looking to do this year more of, actually, uh, which we're going to be doing a little bit of this episode, um, is to highlight and bring you more horror manga from creators other than Junji Ito. Because I, I looked back on, on what we've recorded, and the, I've looked back on, on manga titles that we've talked about, and I've realised that we don't we, we talk about an awful lot of Junji Ito, but not a lot of other stuff. And there's a lot of horror manga out there by other creators um that i think is as deserving of your attention so i want to kind of like spotlight and highlight them again them a bit as more as well but like um saying that i've got a judgy book on the list today <laughs> <laughs> so go figure but um, is, I, I feel like we've done a really good job of finding horror comics from the west or like in western comics um, but yeah, like manga is generally a blind spot for me. So I'll, I'll be keen to see what you dig up and what you find there. That, that's part of it too, as well. Uh, is the fact that like, I, I, I come up with all these like Western horror comics and things. And we talk a lot about horror comics in the context of 
comics history in the West when I've gone into the comics code in previous episodes and things like that. But we never look at Japanese horror comics. We never look at horror manga. So uh, other than Junji Ito, which I found a little bit depressing when I went when I thought back about it. So I'm like, OK, I'm going to try and pull up some other stuff because I know there's loads of it. And there's loads of titles that I want to talk about on here that I want to get you guys to read as well. So, yeah, um, that's where we're at this year. That's what I'm hoping to do. We are going to finish the Superman series. That will be the episode after this one, um, which will be your part three of the Death and Return of Superman. Um, and uh, I think we should just dive straight into it. What do you reckon, Ray? Yeah, let's go in. Um, yeah, is, yeah. Is that you queuing me up? Do I need to? That's, let me. Let me. Pick, let me that's pick me. Comment. That's me loading you into the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> and firing me off towards a book that I found called Always Never. Uh, I was yeah. looking up. Um, Either that, or it's just... me putting a bowling ball into a cannon and firing it at you, and your Homer Simpson standing there taking it in the gut. That's my train of thought, Greg. <laughs> okay, cool. So that's me receiving a bowling ball in the chest while I try and think of how to describe a book that I found called Always Never. <laughs> Which I, I went, like like I said, I went hunting sort of backwards on stuff that I missed and stuff that was recently new and um, <clears throat> figured I'd look for like best comics of 2022. And this one caught my eye because it had like a really beautiful cover. It's, uh, it's a book called Always Never. And it's written and illustrated by Jordi uh, Lefebvre. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And like the uh, the thing that caught my eye was the the front cover, which depicts a um, like a, a really well dressed couple uh, in the rain, sort of lovingly coupled together underneath their umbrellas, which sort of have blended together in the background to look almost like a nebulous heart, like a you know, haloing around their heads. And if you look at it more closely, you'll realize what we're seeing in the, you know, the upper 90% of the page is the reflection in a puddle of them walking through the puddle. And you can see their feet sort of reflected underneath and it's this whole upside down Stranger Things type thing. Um, <clears throat> not Stranger Things, I don't know why I mentioned that. It's actually very uh, like lovingly rendered and like very romantic and looks very Parisian. Um, very so the opposite like, of Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah, I just meant it as like upside down, ignore me. Um, yeah. So, a reflection. A reflection, thank you. Uh, yeah. So the blurb for this is, not all love stories are made equally. Some take decades to blossom, seeming almost to go in reverse. Such is the case for Zeno, a 60-year-old PhD student and nomad bookshop owner, and Anna, a freshly retired mayor, mother and wife. After years of popping in and out of each other's lives, crossing paths but never quite being able to grab hold, their impossible but unshakable love may just have one last chance to flourish before the final curtain. And like I, I'm, I'm a bit of a sucker for these kind of romantic stories. And the, uh, the review that I read of it <clears throat> gave away that uh, there was something interesting happening with like the format of this comic. The fact that it runs in backwards. It's, uh, it referenced, it referenced Christopher Nolan, which I don't think applies in any way or form beyond just the formality of the book, like the form of the book. But basically, this book runs backwards. We start at the very end of their relationship, and we trace our way back through their lives. Uh, why they can and can't be together in various forms, and we start at the inception of <laughs> inception. We start at the the the, the blossoming blossoming of their romance. <clears throat> and so, even like, the chapters run backwards, right? Yeah, exactly. The whole yeah, thing is, like, is basically the chapters like, are numbered from twenty back to one. Indeed, yeah, yeah. And like, I'm a I'm a sucker for that. I love stuff that messes with the format. I love uh, romantic comedies. I like stories about people who like are in. A desperate need for each other but can't quite get it like i'm a bit of a sucker for that kind of um melancholy romance thing and i started reading this and immediately i was kind of like put on the back foot because 
the protagonists are, or at least the, uh, the, the lead female protagonist, Anna, is in a relationship. Like she's married, she has a daughter, she has grandkids, and yet she's still holding on to this, the, this old flame. And it's, you know, tracing backwards through her life and through his life, um, why they disconnected the dalliances that they have with each other. And like, it, I gave it the benefit of the doubt at the start. I thought, oh, maybe it's going to reveal something about the nature of these different relationships that explain why she's still holding a flame for this other guy, even though she's married and has a family and stuff. And like, that reveal kind of never came. I got halfway through the book and I, and I kind of thought, fuck these are awful characters like i don't i don't like stories about people cheating i don't like people uh, stories about people having like emotional cheating let alone you know physically cheating with somebody else and like i just couldn't divorce myself from the idea that i just really didn't like these characters like i genuinely disliked them but i was so taken with the the way that the story was being told and the really beautiful artwork that it's presented in so like that's where i'll kind of leave it and i have a few more thoughts to say about like how I kind of feel the same way about it kind of reminded me of Titanic in a few different ways, like in some subtle and some really big things towards the end. But like that thing about like Rose in Titanic holds this flame in her heart for Jack, um, but then still goes on to have this life. And then the final memory she has in her dying moments is of this other dude that she spent like two days with. And like, I can't get that out of my head. And I feel very similarly about this book. I'm very conflicted. Like Titanic is one of my favorite films ever but I still feel that way about that character. And I think that I have a very similar connection to this book. What do you guys think? Um, first of all, before I say anything else, um, am I having a, was I like having some kind of like fever dream thing or did Homer Simpson take cannonballs to the gut in an episode of Simpsons? He did, yes. The one yeah. where the, the smashing pumpkins are there and the- Hermapalooza. Hermapalooza, that's the one. I knew it, I knew it. Yes, I was right. Okay, that's that's fine. I can talk about the comic now. Okay. Right. Oh my gosh, right. Yeah, so this is a, a, beautifully, a beautiful book mechanically in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um. I, I love this whole thing that time can move forward and backwards and this explanation of this, basically the, I mean, I, I like the explanation of the physics of comics that this book does and gives you because when I, when we've talked about comics previously on here and whatever, and we've mentioned how time flows in comics and how we are the singular point that controls the flow of time in comics because we decide which way the panels go and mm. the panels are designed to go one way but we decide how long a panel lasts by staring at it for longer than we should maybe or you know and there are certain indicators that dictate how long you should probably look at a panel and how long a panel should last like size and and whatever else but we ourselves are ultimately governing how we read that comic and what we what we choose to pay more attention to and what we don't hmm. so the interaction of the comic and the reader and i like the the whole crux of the the fact in this comic that one of the the, the two uh, main characters zemo his whole thing is that he's written this dissertation about how we can actually move backwards through time um and to do that you would have to find a point where you could stop time and then after stopping time time could move in whatever direction it wanted well we're the point that stops time when we're reading a comic. So I'm ultimately controlling whether or not these people get to go back in time or not. I'm ultimately controlling whether or not they get to have their love story um, 
they're they're I'm getting I'm the point that controls whether or not they get to be with each other in the end or not. In in a sense, when I read it that way, and that's what I thought was really cool about it and really imaginative about it. Maybe I'm thinking about it way too fucking hard, uh, but that's no, I... that's what I that's what I got from it, and um, it, it was just this this fact that like this is the passage of time in comics, and I control which way. And no more than in chapter one is that more evident than anywhere else because i feel like chapter one is the key and then when you get to the end of the book and you read chapter one all of a sudden and then you can go back through the rest of the book and you can view it in whichever direction you want and you can kind of like mess around with it in that way i don't know um i feel no, like you're onto something there for sure yeah um i agree with you ray about like this whole like they're not especially likable characters because of this whole like and and i'm going to come on to the thing you said about jack and um <laughs> thingy in uh yes. titanic jack and rose in titanic yeah mm. um because i i don't especially like stories about characters cheating on each other i i, I don't mm. care what their reasons are i just I just don't like it um i don't especially when when you know it's like it's because there's 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 like ways of i mean like there's cheating to get out of what is, you know, maybe a toxic or awful situation or something like that, which, okay, fair enough. If you're, if, if, if you're like glued to an asshole and, you know, then, and, and you cheat on that asshole because that asshole's an asshole, then fair enough. But if, 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 if these people have nice lives, right? Like she yeah. has a nice life with a daughter and a granddaughter and a, a loving husband who, is like incredibly understanding and everyone is so understanding in this book about about each other's dalliances and things it comes mm. up later on with another character as well and it's almost as if like everyone just knows that that's just how love works or something and it's like this universal truth that hasn't been revealed to the rest of us i don't know if i'm stepping on something i shouldn't be stepping on here or what but no you put that really well and better than yeah. i could have put it and like i'm 100 percent I, I'm 100% there with you, and I, I just, I'm particularly incensed by those kind of stories where it, like, she, she's, like, Giuseppe, her husband, is, like you said, by all accounts, a fantastic husband, a wonderful father, and she's never there for him or her daughter, like, no. I just, I kept being, I, the, the story kept giving me reminders that she's not a good person, and, like, I don't know if I'm just reading her the wrong way, or, like, I'm supposed to have a more rose-tinted view of the, the love that she lost but like you said the whole thing about like you can trace a story backwards and i do i love the idea that you know he's uh, he's dedicated his life to trying to figure out a way that you can run time backwards and he may or may not have figured that out and that's maybe that may or may be the reason that we're reading the book backwards because maybe they are maybe they did find the confluence point where they could flip the story around and they could run in reverse and he could undo all the mistakes and then make sure that when they had their meet cue at the beginning they could relive their lives the way that they this wanted is... to, thereby like undoing all of the the good work that she put into her life and all the good yeah. work that he put into his like whatever. I don't, I'm not, I've, I didn't spend that long thinking about that because like you said, it all clicked for you in in chapter one. And for me, I'm just like, oh, they fucked on a boat. Great. Like I don't, I don't feel that connection of like, oh, it all makes sense. All the puzzle pieces fall in, and they can. Well, the reason now... the re there's a reason chapter one makes sense because mechanically you can read it in both directions. Sure. And okay. that's what that's what all of a sudden just blew my mind a bit. But yeah. Yeah, I do like like mechanically that chapter one itself in and of itself, because like 
previously the chapters are doing the memento thing where it goes, you know, you get a section where it goes forward and then it, it locks in and then you get to the next chunk, which is the previous section before that and so on. Like you're going, you're seeing the start of the end and whatever. And chapter yeah. one itself is made up of panels which run in reverse, which is, I think, a formally new concept for the book, right? Like, because the book doesn't right. do that at any point yeah. before that. That's very cool. I did like that you see the moments leading up to them literally moment by beat by beat by beat moment by moment you know silent uh moment by moment but it just it didn't pull my heartstrings i i was like either this is just oh just two cute teenagers found each other they had a night and then they spent the rest of their lives being kind of silently awful to the people around them for like you know literal decades or he's a magic scientist and he's discovered a way to undo time and now he gets to like create a branching narrative, a branching path, a branching timeline where they get to be together. And it's like, I don't, I don't particularly find that very romantic. And like the, the reason it reminds me of Titanic is because on a technical level, on a dramatic level, on a artistic level, I genuinely love that film. Like I love the way that it's all portrayed. And I feel very similarly about the book. I feel like the, the techniques on display, the artistry, like the, the vibrancy, the, the, um, just how romantic all of the images feel really works for me, except I just don't like the story. And like, Leon, do you have any, yeah. uh, any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, a few thoughts. Um, it is funny because like, I, I didn't think uh, that this would be such a latching on point, but it does make sense. Uh, like this particular element of the story. Mm. But uh well, I'll say like one of one of the things that I hate with that trope usually is that say the film Love Actually, which is uh, near universally loved unless you're like uh, grumpy people like us. Um, <laughs> and one of the reasons, like, there's some good stuff in that movie, uh, mm. but particularly the stuff with like uh, like Thomas and Rickman and stuff. But like, uh, I I just not a fan of that movie. And one of the main reasons why I hate that movie is um, this stuff to do with like Andrew Lincoln's character and Keira Knightley. Where it's like, uh, like he his he filmed his best mate's wedding, and then as he's filming his best mate's wedding, he's just completely obsessed with his uh, best mate's wife, or whatever. Yeah, like and instead of being like, Lama. yeah, instead of being like, oh, this is weird, I'll let it go, he proceeds to like try and pursue it and talk to her, and it, they, the movie try and frames it as this like unrequited like uh, love thing, and it's just like. Mm. Uh, people in the wrong place at the wrong time type of thing. But like, she literally just got married and he's like his best mate and stuff. So like, he does that creepy thing, like the famous thing with the cards outside the door, say it's carol singers and stuff like that. And I think a lot of the audience are like, uh, isn't that like uh, lovely? Obviously they can't be together, but like, da 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 da. And it's like, it, that's codified in the movie by the fact that she like runs out, uh, gives him a, like a, a short, like sort of kiss. And it, like that, that's the end. And then he walks off like, Yep, that's the end of it. On to the next dream type thing, and and then she obviously doesn't tell uh, her husband, uh, and it's like like that. I don't know. I'll, that always that element of it like always grosses me out. So that's the thing that yeah, it, I just I don't like it. And obviously beyond that, even forgetting the fact of like betraying his friend or whatever, it's just gross <laughs> anyway to be like I'm obsessed with you. Like just be open and honest or whatever. But so like I can understand that bumping on it. But like I always find like I don't really connect that type that element to like a film like Titanic or like a book like this, uh, even though there are like crossover elements in that way. 
Because mm-hmm. I, I think the main point of this and the stuff with Titanic, I don't think like Rose was an awful person and didn't like uh, like love her family or whatever, but I think it's more uh, demonstrative of how like how messy this stuff is and how I th- like it runs counter to a sort of narrative. I guess in some ways it um, reinforces it, but it runs counter to a narrative of like the BS of like a soulmate and all that crap like that. And mm-hmm. love, it comes in many flavors and some of the flavors are quite similar, but uh, love is not always uh, Eros love, even though it can like loop into it and loop back out. And I think that, one thing that's demonstrated in this book is just sort of like life and how we sort of drift in and out, uh, close and apart and how, uh, sometimes we wait, we try to make timing be such a thing. And like, really that's how you just miss opportunities and how, um, how like the the perfect time is never usually a thing. And sometimes Mm -hmm. It never lines up, but life is life. You move on, you, you you meet new people. And like, I don't think that because you like, like, like put it, put it in, in this context, if your partner died uh, and then you moved on and uh, met a new person five years later, ended up with them or whatever, you obviously love that person that you're with but the love you still have for the person that you you, you built your life with who died that, that they don't they don't cancel each other out and obviously it's more muddied in a thing where it's like it's concurrent um and obviously there's like line crossing and stuff like that but i don't really like i don't really think that like it's a thing about like betrayal i think it's more a thing about the messiness of life and convenience versus inconvenience and uh so i while i do agree on on things like uh like like nah you you got a you got you got an awesome husband and a great family like just chill but like i think one part of the point is that um it's not one or the other it's a thing of like sometimes you like sometimes one person isn't the same person for you for all things so like you're significant other like ideally you'd want them to be the person that you can talk to about everything and they fulfill every need they fulfill the intellectual need they fulfill the loving need they fulfill you know comfort they fulfill support but like that's not always the case and i think actually exceedingly rarely the case and there's certain things that you just don't people just don't get from from their partners and i think like this is taken out to a broad way so like uh, like this thing where i like i see your criticisms but it, it wasn't as a major a bump for me because of what i think the story was doing and uh, i think you guys have demonstrated what the story was doing which is uh by reversing the like the uh causality uh in a similar way to say the aforementioned like nolan stuff um like i, I think what it does is that it provides a like a different context into how um we proceed through life and how uh, our various different forms of like love and attachment uh, can can evolve and complicate throughout the years, and how unfortunately things aren't just uh, clean, but they they can be a, a set of circumstances that get us to where we are. And the end point being the start point means something in the sense that like this is kind of like the first time that they are like properly together after like the you know the first chapter mm-hmm. because they they did. Uh, go on, on 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 their different ways but they did still connect and 
like she had a, a big life as a mayor and he had a big life as a, you know like a, a scientist uh, traveling the world so i think what it does capture is sort of that rough messiness that that, that sort of uh zigzaggy flow of time and that's what i quite liked about it and like I, I i do agree with what you were saying greg in terms of like how the format does feed the uh the the theme and and and, yeah. and the narrative and well, while i don't think it's it, it it's well i don't think of it in terms of like a, a uh, you know a, sci, a sci-fi t- sort of premise i think it um it is but like outside the form, I think we make it the sci-fi premise because as, as you say, Greg, like we control the flow of time. And I think that's um, what we bring to it in, in, in terms of our control of the causality of it is what uh, can bre- like breathes e- extra, extra life into it, a story like that, which like conventionally it would just be a fun story, like even set aside your, your notions of like uh, marital fidelity. Uh, as like going from chapter one to to 20 normally would be oh this is a a a pair of lovers going through their lives and they never were able to connect until like near the end but having it be reverse and us seeing uh like it's kind of like the film boyhood which is a link later movie about uh it like it was shot like they shot one scene a year for, uh, over like 10 years of a kid growing up and the point of that movie is, is like a series of sort of memories just snippets of a person's life and how uh, and then what we as an audience get to see is the actor like grow up and uh also like change and like how you know family life school like how that all affects them and you get in in the space of two hours you get to sort of see like the whole like uh, the big like chunk of like boyhood and i think what this is is kind of that like in reverse where you're you're seeing snippets you you're seeing like uh uh snapshots in time of like p- people's uh, uh people's who've had like long lives and and all the different ways that those um things intersect and all the different events that that happen to them so like for on, on that side i quite liked it and from a like uh obviously the my favorite biggest strength of it is just the artwork like i love how how well rendered the characters are how they look so good throughout the ages uh or their like designs and you can sort of like there's like a, a through line of like even their like fashion sense and their style mm. and the way that they they keep themselves and the, uh, their mannerisms you see sort of evolve as they like gain less as they like lose wrinkles and uh uh, gain the color back in their hair. Uh, it it is uh, like I think like without that it would it would it wouldn't work for me as much. But I think like the just there's just this general like European haze. The same thing that I get from when I when I watch like uh, like French movies from like the the sixties and seventies that uh, I f- I feel sort of like uh, vibrating through the book. So uh, yeah, ultimately. Um, like I, I don't I don't I don't know if it's a home run, but it it definitely uh, like connected with me on mm. on on a different level. It's set in Italy, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, yeah. it's it's funny that you bring up bring up uh, Richard Richard Linklater, Leon, because actually what I kind of was hoping for was something like the Before Trilogy, which is one of my favorite uh, you know set of romantic movies, and like that's that's about like people who are at least likable and honest while being flawed and like depicts the messiness of romance over the decades and stuff. And like, I kind of, 
I don't know, there's something I'm much more willing to give to those those movies than I am to this book. And I think it's because like, I don't, I, like, and not to deflate like the very succinct and beautiful way that you put the different forms of love. Like, I don't want to be out there saying that d- different forms of love can't exist, but I feel like it's different when they're sending each other naked photographs and calling each other on the phone, you know, when they know that they've each got a kid. Like, there's just something about that that makes me feel really gross. And like, I maybe I shouldn't keep uh, uh, harping on about that particular point, but like, I was disappointed that I was looking for a before trilogy and I didn't really get it. What I would say, like, about naturalistic sci-fi romances, like, uh, I watched a film called Papit Maman last year, and it's about it's a romance between uh, mother and daughter. And like, I feel like if you want a, a naturalistic sci-fi, go go looking for that. I feel like that gave me a much more warm, comforting feeling about like the messy relationships that people have than this book gave me. Yeah, um, I don't really think I have anything to add to that other than, like, yeah, I, so in my little diatribe, like, I'm not saying that there's, like, again, like, I want to kind of, like, tag on what you just said about not to step on all the stuff about there being more, because there is more, obviously, love comes in many forms in many ways, like, no one person's the same, everyone's different, everyone feels different and, and experiences things differently, and it's just how it is, but, like, I... I don't know if I feel as gross as you felt about it, Ray, but I I didn't get on with that side of it, and I thought maybe maybe you know there's there's better there would have been a better way for them characters to handle it, but then again they are only human. I guess I yeah, don't know. Well put. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So that was always never, and uh, that is out now. Um. I own it digitally. Did you get a hard copy or digital, Ray? digital yeah hard copies are available though it's out now um i guess available anywhere and everywhere um presume so yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) um moving on to our next book um so this is the aforementioned junji ito book that i had on the list this is a book called black paradox um this was released on the 24th of november last year and uh, I kind of wanted to talk about this on the Halloween episode, but I don't think um, I had the book in. T- uh, I, I, I thought it was going to come out prior to Halloween. I had, I had planned to talk about this on the Halloween episode, but didn't happen. Um, so. Yeah. Um, it's signature Junji Ito escalation of concept. Um, and it, this, this one is the concept of crossing over the concept of crossing over to the other side and the concept of, of dying and, and passing through into the afterlife or or the beyond. Um, and I really, really, really like the ideas and the themes behind it. it. It plays with like the astral concept of the soul. So most Junji Ito stuff um when we've talked about it before on these episodes and things it's horror but it's rooted in physical elements um what i've noticed as we've gone through time junji's work has started to get more and more abstract with that so less physical more metaphysical and we're starting to get in play with um strange concepts that have less of a physical grounding and now now we're into like the concept of the astral plane and the soul and things like that um and and even even stepping into transhumanism in a way right 
Um, and it's this whole idea of the separation of the soul and the flesh um, that gives it this really, it makes it a really cool and off-kilter, strange and an interesting book. So the actual blurb for or Black Paradox. Four people on, uh, intent on killing themselves meet through the suicide website Black Paradox. Maruso, a nurse who despairs about the future. Taburo, a man who is tortured by his doppelganger. Pitan, an engineer with his own robot clone. And Baraki, a woman who agonizes about the birthmark on her face. They wander together in search of the perfect death, faithfully opening a door that leads them to a rather bizarre destiny. Um, and the book just kind of escalates from there. Um, and um, we have this kind of like elements of body horror, but fused with this kind of like this, this, uh, these elements of astral and abstract kind of like concepts. Um, so the concept of the body being able to produce a portal to paradise is one of the things that comes up in this. So um, you are your own. You are you are your own um, your own way to paradise. Your own you become your own portal, your own vessel, as it were. Your own your own portal to the other side. Um, and um, it's what what prompts these portals to open is through the host's willingness to cross over, and their their reason for contemplating suicide in the first place is you it becomes the reason that they can cross in and out of this astral plane this 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 dazzling world um i kind of like found similarities between obviously obviously i mean there's like elements in this that for me kind of touch on um like proto-christianity and gnosticism <laughs> with the separation of the soul and the body and the soul being something perfect and um and of the one true god and the body being this clumsy physical form that was given to us by the false god the demiurge um and before i get too deep into really weird stream of consciousness stuff leon what do you think uh i had a good time with this book the it is like, or in some ways, it's almost like Junjito, like Mad Libs in some way, where it has, it's it, it, like it feels a little derivative of like previous works in in terms of just some like concepts and some uh, sort of like story dalliances. But the problem for me is that I'm I'm a bit of a mark for uh, his stories, so even one that I think that like. Uh, is not recycling, but like, I don't know, like, you know, you have like, you know, the classic uh, Junji Ito face of like a character, and it's like, ah, something crazy is happening to me. Like, uh, you, you get that like on steroids here, and then you get like, you know, like weird stuff growing in faces and stuff like that. It's, it, there's a lot of like stuff that you've seen before, but I, the, the main concept that all ties it together um, does take some interesting um does take does take some interesting steps um and 
like the sort of motley crew of people who are brought together i do think they they play off each other quite well but ultimately at the end of the day i'm here for like the freaky horror art and uh this has it in spades but like uh like for me it's not like a a top shelf like it's not one of my favorites but i had uh, a good time while reading it yeah on a, on a scale of like one to uzumaki because uzumaki is my favorite um this sits somewhere firmly like around the kind of like seven mark if you would agree it's it's kind of like that kind of level i don't know um but yeah it's like um yeah it's it's um it's fun it has all the stuff that you've come to expect from junji ito um his signature style of art with like all his kind of like the way that he draws like mottled flesh and and weird body horror fleshy openings and strange um strange like escalation of of growth and flesh and and just just like it just gets more and more hideous as the book goes on which is which is like signature junji ito and that's something that you come to expect from him and his work um and like these four humans that like have these sources of anguish in these floors decide to end their lives together and um it's like this sci-fi element with a drop of philosophy this time which i thought was quite interesting the fact that it gets a bit um a bit deeper than a lot of junjito horror usually goes with that kind of stuff um and like yeah it's it's a a recent another one in a recent shift in what i consider like a a shift towards in his work at least towards the 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 sort of like the the less tangible Mm. um i like the humor vein in here as well like the idea that human beings would exploit their own afterlife um and their very existence and their souls in in pursuit of power and riches as well because it gets to the point that they figure out this new energy source and um yeah it it just it feels right that humans are that stupid uh so so i really enjoyed that and i thought i thought that the 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 vein of humor that ran through it with this whole like this um this like uh what would you call it um uh vapid exploitation of something and and not considering the it, it it felt it felt perfect for that and i thought yeah that's just that's just human beings all over we're going to be our own undoing and you know we've... yeah because it is funny to yeah. to watch like characters commodify something that <laughs> like is supernatural but they, the 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 shock and awe doesn't really last that long because yeah it's like how can we uh exploit this (laughs) yeah it's like yeah these these beautiful stones are just coming out of this guy's body and like he died because his stomach exploded full of them hmm i know what we should do (laughs) let's sell them like yeah and and then it, it just it's yeah um and like the hopelessness of what we are as people basically is just encapsulated right there in our willingness to exploit and to um to, to just basically just just our our endless march towards being our own undoing and not wanting to do anything about it because it's comfortable 
to be our own undoing because we make loads of money out of it. It's just, oh, I don't know. I mean, like, it... it yeah, it has, um, like, it's full of, like, detail and, and it's, like, fraught with anxiety and facial expressions and it's just this strange, repulsive, messy Junji O story that you've come to expect from Junji, basically, but with all this kind of, like, weird high philosophy in there at the same time, uh, like, drops and drips and drops of it, so it's quite interesting in that respect. Um, you didn't read any of this, did you, Ray? You didn't get to. I didn't, unfortunately, no. Have I, have I convinced you that it's worth it? <laughs> I mean, it, you, all you have to say are the words Junji Ito, and I would pick it up. I actually didn't realise that it was a Junji Ito book. Um, all I saw was the title, but I just didn't have space to fit it in this week. Yeah, so, like, yeah, it, it's basically, like, the separate... Yeah, and I, it sent me on this wild path of, of rediscovering and, and listening to podcasts about Gnosticism and shit, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, it's because I made the connection between the whole, like, the soul and the separation of the soul and the body and the fact that one thing is this perfect, pure, divine thing and the other thing is this flawed flesh um, prison that the divine thing has to be in. And to reach our true potential, we must gain the knowledge of the divine thing beyond our horrible, clumsy flesh prisons, um, which I'm not saying I don't like the idea of that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um so that is uh junji ito's black paradox um very very cool interesting story um which i would fully recommend and is out now on shelves so you should check that out yeah 20 i've got i've got two different dates here because i've got 20th of october in my pen and paper notes last year by the way which is i think i originally thought Okay, yeah, so this is why I originally thought I was going to get to talk about it at Halloween, because I had it down for 25th of October. And then I'm looking here now, and it is 24th of November. I was right. So there we go. But it's out on shelves now. Check it out if you're a Junjito fan. Uh, from here, Ray, I believe this is another one that you chose for us to read. Yeah, let's talk about a book that I actually liked. I don't know why I started with the one that I hated first. Um, I, 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 think, I... I think hate's a strong word, because well, I don't no, think yeah. you... Did you hate it? No, it's fine. Let's not go over that again. It's fine. Okay, um, okay. I'm, what I'm really saying is, like, let's talk about a book that I can enjoy. And it's, it's funny because, like, I actually find it harder to know what to say about the books that I like because it's kind of like, I like this. Go check it out for yourself. I don't want to say too much. Anyway, uh, I was looking through, again, like I was saying earlier, recent picks uh, or recent, recent releases, and I picked this up just completely blind um, on the strength of the fact that it's written by Sarah Gailey, who wrote Eat the Rich. Um, and it's called Know Your Station. There's There are two issues out at the time of recording, and the blurb for it is... Give me one second. Right. The wealthiest people in the solar system abandon the Earth for a private sanctuary in space, leaving the rest of us to die amidst cataclysmic climate change. That's all I needed, but I'll carry on. But the 1% won't be safe for long. A murderer is on the loose, specifically targeting the super-rich. Super in, right? And then soon, Elise, an employee of the billionaire space station, is wrapped up in a deadly investigation. And I won't actually finish the blurb because I think, like, <laughs> I know we're going to get into spoilers fairly quickly, but I think part of what made this book stand out for me so much is because I went into it completely blind, just basically knowing that it was about murder investigations on a space station. Um, That's so I guess, what I did. Because yeah, you said murder investigations on a space station on WhatsApp, and I went and read it 
right? Just purely based on that, yeah. <laughs> like I went in super blind, and there's there's a thing that the blurb reveals that I even didn't real like I didn't realize until after I finished reading issues one and two, and I was like, oh, is this kind of what the format of the thing is? Um, I'm being oblique. Spoiler warning now, I guess. But the thing that it says is with each issue featuring a new diabolically different kill. And like, I think one of the things that really worked for me going in blind was that issue one ends with like a dramatic kill that you don't see coming. And then issue two does it again. And I was like, what is like, what is going on? But to roll it back a little, uh, Know Your Station. It's um, written by Sarah Gailey, illustrations by Liana Kangas. Uh, colors by Rebecca Nolte, lettering by Cardinal Ray, and it opens really strongly. I think, like, I, I love some, I, I love these books that open with like a strong thesis at the start, and it's, it's kind of like a space station marketing brainstorm session about how to advertise for labor on a generation ship. I think, like, clearly built for the wealthy first, and then we get an introduction into the like quote unquote geniuses behind this endeavor. So like these motherfuckers who privatized teaching and capitalized on global emergency funding and stuff and like like i said these first two issues are a really good double whammy like we're introduced to our protagonist elise she's waking up hung over on who knows what and her ai companion who's called saint bridget i believe uh, is giving her like this miracle hangover cure and the first issue follows elise uh who <laughs> calls herself this uh station security liaison and is definitely not a detective investigating like the petty and fraudulent case of a missing earring um and then the horrific murder of the station CFO. And then also the introduction of a patronizing Earth, or as they call soil side, which I think is a great term for somebody who is visiting from Earth to a station, uh, a space station, uh, is patronizing Earth cop, who is just like an awful cop character, like incredibly well-written to be immediately dislikable. And all of this uh, like serves as onboarding to a series of what's going to be locked room mysteries and like narcotic dependencies, like the story about those two things. And the first two issues do a really good job of highlighting like the, just the psychedelic absurdity of living in a space station, like trapped in a space station where all these horrific murders are occurring with an AI who has like questionable morals and like uh, an unknowable uh, agenda. And I, I, I think the only criticism I would have of it is like so far I think it's kind of failing a little at what I thought the title promised, which is like the literal inesc inescapability of hierarchy when you're trapped in a can orbiting the planet. But I guess I'm just going to have to give it the benefit of the doubt that it's going to get there at some point. Like you know, like stay in your lane. Like I thought you'd be expressing that. It doesn't really do that in the the first couple of issues. But kind of what it does do is like know your station in that you need to know your you need to understand your environment intimately if you want to survive this really messed up situation that you find yourself in and like i'm i'm along for the ride i think i'm going to pick up every single one of these like the way that issue two ends has hooked me uh leon how did you feel about this book yeah i quite liked it i'd echo um a lot of what you said i think the setup is quite promising i think that it starts to build its its world and i always have a thing with like um i worry sometimes if in the opening pages um too many like words i like are being used in close proximity because then i worry it's like that's not enough and i think like i hope that's not the whole thing because obviously i'm i'm here all day to uh for commentary on like how terrible uh the mega rich are 
but like uh, there needs to be like some bite there there needs to be some substance and um but like i i do think this is doing something with all that and it isn't just um set dressing uh that there are like i've got like sort of small worries about where the story could go mm. um and i hope it's and i, I hope and like imagine it's going to be more interesting than where i think it could go and i hope it takes some left turns but ultimately it's um it's really good like setting up this character with this thing where they're trying to get off this uh this this like drug they're dependent on to sort of get through the day and and having that be a thing where that complicates uh how they will proceed in this mystery is is uh like a really good um a really good hook but also like a really good uh like character making thing mm -hmm. so like uh yeah i'm interested to see where this goes and i, I do like how it um like brings in like future tech stuff, but it, it it's not in an obnoxious way. It's more, almost more in a super functional way mm. to the degree where it's almost like rote. It's just like, yeah, we use these things and they can break or like they're a hassle when this alarm goes off and, and stuff. And it's like almost being like too dependent on their like AI assistance, all that stuff. Like I, I do like, how all that stuff is rendered and it has like a really nice clean look uh really like the coloring throughout um the design of the the costumes the people who work on the station versus the people that uh like that live there the mega rich like i like how you have that mega juxtaposition and the differences in like class and wealth like i think it's set set itself up to be a enchanting town uh so i'm, I'm interested to see where it goes yeah, because it kind of starts in like a really bare, as you would like the traditional sort of bare metals, metal walls in a space station. And then you realize that, no, that's just where the workers live. And like you go into like the lush verdant sort of green wallpapered uh, ultra rich areas. And it's like, oh, it's not just a, a functional space station thing that it's all, you know, bare and like clean. It's just that they didn't bother putting in the funding to make other people's houses nicer. Like just stuff like that, where it kind of, goes a little bit left of what you'd expect from a, a sci-fi thing like and also it gives it an opportunity to be really colorful which i really like about it like i wasn't expecting a, a space sci-fi thing to be this vibrant um it always helps when you've got like a, a fuchsia colored ai hologram going on because that injects a bit of color anywhere you go um greg what were your thoughts um i i really enjoyed this um i I I actually thought I really enjoyed it. It um it was a waking nightmare <laughs> for me as well. Like um so it's similar to that murder memory story in you know remember when we did the liminal zone? Yeah, yeah. I thought you would make this connection actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the murder memory story in the liminal zone about the guy that wakes up having had memories of a murder projected into his head that convinces him that he committed those murders. Um from the liminal zone the Junjito book, but it activates my fight and flight response in exactly the same way. I would have thought the the drug use as well would have um, like rubbed you up the wrong way slightly. A little bit, yeah. but um, it's the fact that it's um, it's it's that all the evidence is always squarely aimed at the protagonist, and in these first two issues, it, it's like a paranoid nightmare because everything, all fingers, always point at you're the person who did it, mm. and it's like. 
I, I, I'm going to come out right. I think the AI is doing it. Um, that, and that's I think one of those those outcomes that I would be disappointed if that's the case. And I yeah, but I, I feel in my mind, the thing I was alluding to before. Yeah, yeah I thought you were. <laughs> yeah, in my mind, I, I feel like it is the AI doing it because I, I mean it's great artwork. It's a fantastic concept. I love the the AI in every scene. Like Saint Bridget is there, kind of like ethereally, mm. in every scene, in every in a panel, in every page almost. Um, and I love the um, just the, the the whole concept of it. These like, I mean, it's horrible, but it's because it's like, but at least they're getting killed. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's just. Like this concept of this fucking tin can in space full of Elon Musk's or whatever, like, <laughs> you know, um, and then like they're getting picked off one by one. I'd be tempted not to investigate it. I'd just be like, sure, <laughs> sure. But then like you've got this angle of the drug use, like the, the, what, what is blue? Like this substance abuse angle, like, um, like administered by... It, because like it's supposed to be something that's taboo. It's supposed to be something that people aren't um it, it's 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 framed in the story like an illicit drug but i get the feeling that it's legal and everyone does it yeah, i don't know i'm trying to make that i was trying to like sort of like make a a, a kind of like distinction there or, or kind of like um figure out what its place in society is because it's the, the fact that it's administered by the ai in one part of the comic it clearly seems to be there to like placate the working uh, classes yeah, to like exactly be able to endure the terrible day they have to get because that's the first time we see it like in use like from the very start of the comic is mm. like she's using it to what's i forget the term but like to get to like be able to get through the day like she's yeah self-medicating that way and like like i, I don't i i didn't think of it as being an, an illicit thing um mm. because of like just dialogue in there like uh there's a time where she has it administered and she's like almost like she says something along the lines of I almost forget how bad yesterday was mm. um and like part of me is like yeah that's the point and like part of the reason why i think she's like started off this book saying she wants to get off it is because um she has a reliance on it and it's kind of making her like numb to uh what she's sort of the drudgery that she has to to deal with um yeah i couldn't i couldn't quite in my mind work out the relationship between like that where that drug sits in society it's just the fact that it was being administered by, by the ai but people are encouraging her encouraging her to quit as well um in part of she has a conversation with another character where they're like oh you know like good for you um i know people that have quit you know like offering help and it's like so is this something that is i don't understand like is it detrimental or not because if it's detrimental, why is the AI administering it? And then you get the point of, well, maybe the AI is designed, um, and maybe maybe the drug is designed to keep people obedient and, and placid, like you said, like a control device, right? But also maybe the AI, like the AI kind of like, if you think about it, the AI functions on this station like a kind of a god. Mm-hmm. And the the AI is basically God. The AI has it has its tendrils in every single aspect of the station. It controls whether you live or die. Um, if if it if she's 
if if blue is fine and legal and okay for her to do in her position on that station why is she turning off location tracking data and things when she's doing it that was the other thing that made mm. me question it and and made me f like kind of think like why is it this this kind of like what part of society what what place in society does this occupy are people looking down on it or is it legal or what you know i think that's kind of deliberately vague perhaps or at least at these early stages yeah. where like you're not sure whether it's like people turn a blind eye because it keeps them complicit and it keeps them like it keeps the, the gears turning on this place where they literally like they have a finite amount of people and a finite amount of resources on this station and like you have to keep them happy otherwise the thing won't function i think yeah. there's an element of that and like i do like how like i was alluding to earlier like how unknowable the ai is because like it's very uh like it's there to serve um our protagonist elise who is you know of the lower working classes but then is also conveniently inconvenient when it wants to be or like things like where Elise tells it to to turn off like recording and then that bites Elise in the ass at some point. It's like it makes you wonder how much agency that AI has and how much it's plotting and governing, which makes me think like, Greg, you might be onto something with it being the uh, the architect of what's happening. But, you know, I'm, but, I'm like, hoping even... it goes somewhere different, I'm hoping it goes somewhere a little bit yeah. more creative. Because like, surely there's a stock of, of like... Um... Because the people will, there must be some kind of record somewhere, it, it, like in my mind, logically, of what's being administered to people and what's not by the AI. Hmm. Because it will, there, there will be a finite stock on a station in space. So, so this is this is like all these questions that come up. But obviously, they're probably going to get answered in issues three, four, and five, or whatever. But <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, the this scarier is... part to me is like. The AI administers this drug and then can immediately flush out your system. Yeah, the AI <laughs> has the has the cure just right there. It's kind of amazing, like, and she doesn't even realize the cure exists. Like, I think that moment yeah. is really is quite shocking because that's like that's quite. Imagine being like being hungover and then somebody creeps into your room and they're like sobers you up instantly. Like, there's something about that that makes me feel really uncomfortable. There's something about that that makes me yearn for it. <laughs> Yeah, don't 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 start scratching that edge. <laughs> like like I want something that can sober me up like that. Like I would love that. Like to be is, able it to exists. like you just have to take it before. Oh yeah, those things that what are they like? Um powder things that you put in water. It's like Z biotic or something like that. Yeah. Costs a lot of money. <laughs> I was I'm I was kind of like, does it work or doesn't it? But I've I don't know, have either of you two ever tried that? <laughs> I haven't drank enough to need it. <laughs> it's not something I've really considered. Yeah. I just think it's yeah. a it's a funny idea. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah. Um, so yeah, know your station. Um, a paranoid, uh, a paranoid spaceball nightmare. Uh, of a murder mystery. Um. Yeah, it's a future we're all too close to, really, isn't it? Like, it's <laughs> gonna be my grandkids on that space station or something isn't it you know it's like that's that's where that's how far away we are from this right or am i talking out of my ass like a newspaper in the 1920s that said we'd all be on hover bikes by now <laughs> quite possibly <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> you're basically condemning your like grandchildren to be like rich douchebags we're all right for now. Can't even get a self-driving car to work properly, can they? So, <laughs> <laughs> I 
we're safe at the moment. Um, so yeah, know your station. Um, last one. So this is me trying to be um, trying to pick horror manga that 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 basically showcase horror manga by other creators. Um, and this one is called PTSD Radio. Um, and um, yeah, so I'm like I said at the top of the episode, I'm now on a bit of a quest to highlight and bring you more horror manga from creators other than Junji Ito. So PTSD Radio. Um, this is by uh, Masaki Nakayama. Um, what we're talking about today, uh, there's six volumes of it. Um, it's been published since, um, I think, October 2017 was when they first started publishing uh, this particular book um, in English. Um, Kodansha USA have been publishing it since October, uh, Halloween 2017. But uh, what we're getting now is we're getting these um, these six volumes, but we're getting um, double length volumes. So volume one that you can buy in the UK now is essentially volumes one and two combined into one book. Um, and um, we do talk a lot about Junji's work and I, I feel like we, we need to get into... Uh, other stuff and i need to have other touch points because <laughs> i'm getting a bit one note um so yeah ptsd radio the work of masaki nakayama it's dis it's um disorientating it's creepy it is truly insidious work um it crawls around in the back of your head in the small hours of the morning and i think that's the whole idea that's that's what it gets at that's what that's what the whole premise is of, of most of these stories are they are unsettling in this way that creeps up on you later where it's like you read it and it's benign but then it sits in the back of your head for the rest of the day um and it doesn't escalate in strangeness so much as it pushes deeper and continues to dig and it digs with fear act shaking hands because it, it it's terrified of what it might find next and um yeah, what what it pulls up, it, it just it just goes, like, you know, gets it goes from strength to strength with that stuff. Um, it is the debut English title by uh, Masaki Nakayama, so this is like the first title of his, I think, to be published in English. Um, but this guy is a veteran. His other works can be found. Um, he there's a lot of like he's he's very. Um, He's very popular and well known amongst people that are into fan trans that, that that read fan translations here in the West, um, because his work is just like this is the, the the only officially published English work that he's got at the moment. But like all his other works, um, like numerous other works and stuff in Japanese, um, and he is quite a well known creator in Japan. Uh, he's he's quite big. Um, the other major work that people associate him with is uh, Fuan Natake or Seeds of Anxiety, which I would really love an official English release of. I want to read this. Um, it has been adapted into a movie, uh, July 2013, that was released. Um, and um, this one that we've got here, this double volume, was published last year. So this was published um, November 2022. Um, and, uh, I think volume two, uh, so volume two, which will collect volumes three and four is published this month. Um, 
yesterday, I think, actually. So as of recording this, it was published yesterday. So 18th of January, I think it was meant to hit shelves. And then I think the third volume is going to hit in February. Um, it's... Um, it might... Yeah, so you, you might be able to find volumes one and two on shelves by the time you're hearing this podcast. So this is creeping ever-present... Lovecraftian element here with this forgotten deity, a malevolent god, um, the, a, a god that only knows a thirst, as is described throughout the book. And this is a, a, a god of hair. So if I read you the blurb, um, carried into modern Japan from a forgotten past, the being known as Ogushi haunts and tortures humans of all kinds. Little is known about Ogushi's curse, except that it resides in an unexpected place, human hair. Um, so, like Junji Tozuzumaki, PTSD Radio takes something every day and weaves it into a series of chilling, cryptic, twisted, repellent, and alluring manga stories that become more than what they first seem. So, yeah, this is, this is the, um, a bunch of disparate, um, transmissions, we'll call them, because the way that this, it's called PTSD Radio, and the way that it works is each short story is um it has its own frequency in the top corner so they're all named after a specific like a specific radio frequency like so many megahertz whatever and uh, each thing is a short transmission or an interrupted transmission um almost like an intrusive thought in that way like intrusive thoughts for radios um and it each transmission takes place in a different period of time but they all center around Agushi, uh, and they're all connected in some way and those connections become more and more apparent as you read on um yeah you've got these like um like this 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 deity that pulls worshippers souls to the afterlife like through their hair and like you know that maybe it's possible to curse people with this as well and then there's like all, all kinds of lore and and rich like legend about this 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 being Agushi and things connected to Agushi just throughout this book and I really 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 want volume two I really want volume two um, it's really interesting how the manga jumps between narratives and how time um, it jump jumps through back and forward through time as well and it keeps you on edge and it adds to the fear. Um, and it's a single nightmare composed of many short vignette nightmares that are all connected. Um, it's strange and unsettling. It plays on fears and anxieties you didn't know you have. Like, this is like, for me, I found some, some things in here that I, I didn't realize bothered me until now. Um, <laughs> and it digs deeper and deeper and deeper. And there's this like horrible, rotten, dark core. Um, and it... it basically sprawls into this like forgotten center of poisons and permeates it's like imagine like a tree and you've got like each they've got like rings of healthy tree then in the middle there's like a forgotten ring of poison and that forgotten ring of poison just begins to spread outwards that's what this is um and it's full of beautiful artwork of creepy warped forms and shadows and and stories that combine body horror and the traditional supernatural and this very odd looking idol something extremely sinister about the whole thing um so ray um you read this as well i did yeah and um, what do you think i think i've said in the past that i really struggle to know how to discuss horror manga in particular because there's something about like 
<laughs> something about the process of reading this where I'm like, oh, that's fucked up. And then I get to the next one, I'm like, oh yeah, that's also fucked up. Like, <laughs> I, like I kind of struggle to know like how to, because uh, I don't, I don't really respond to it on an emotional level. I don't really get that fearful. I just like seeing the, um, the kind of messed up designs and being entertained by it. And yeah. I, yeah, I guess I kind of part of what reading manga does to me is puts me in a very like uh, piecemeal mindset where I'm kind of not pouring over the pages in a way that I would do with something that was more like intricately rendered i guess and that's like me doing a discredit to the book and me doing a disservice to myself or whatever but it's kind of how i'm i'm kind of struggling with ptsd radio because i don't really understand what it's all tying together into but i do like all the various elements that it is comprised of you know what i mean like yeah i know especially with um the first volume or the first volume as i understood it which is half of the the first book that we read where it, it's kind of laying down the stories of like five different people, like four or five different people, and how they've been affected by this uh, hair-centric malevolent force, right? Um, and I, I was kind of struggling to know like how to connect all of those things together. And then I think from the second part onwards, it kind of, you do start seeing them weave together. But I think where the book is at its best is when it tells like one singular cohesive story in a chunk. So we get like, I, I believe set in the the past. Like I, I skimmed over this quite quickly, so like, forgive me if I'm missing elements. But like, there's a bit where uh, there's like an eerie face in the the wooden walls and knots of a of a wooden plank. Oh yes, yeah. And like, I like that that was the catalyst for various people who are dealing with this block of wood that you know they've responded to with a bit of superstition. Like, we need to get the priest here to deal with it and whatever. And like it gives them an excuse to talk about other weird things that have happened in their lives, and I think that's that's where this book is at its best when it's it's making some it's showing us something weird and then how it affects and reminds people around them of other eerie and uh, discomforting things that have happened to them. And then also yeah. there's the uh, the cool, funny, silly thing like I can't quite take very seriously, and I can't be really uh, jump scared by jump scare pages where like it's, it's a fucked up face where their their mouth is too big or it's like somebody that looks like they've come out of south park or something like i don't know uh i i like it all uh, i'm not particularly moved by any of it but like i i do want to keep reading because i just like i like all the creativity on display yeah i mean for me it's more of a thing that it's just like it, it was it appealed to me on on a level of something dark and unknowable like and and getting to the source of it and like all this kind of like rotten weirdness that's going on through the whole thing and yeah this is this is just what i i i enjoyed it in that way um leon what did you think yeah i quite enjoyed um what we've gone so far it is like a sort of dense and like dizzying thing where uh you're not really sure well there's no guardrails but you're not really sure exactly where you are in, in the narrative of theme if uh, in a way and i feel like it, it will only get denser uh but i kind of like that that the whole sort of uh frequency motif and um you know the use of the like it gives me a like a nostalgic feeling to like the you know the turn of the century i guess turn of the millennium like japanese horror movies like ringu and the juon movies and mm, like yeah. pulse and all those with the you know the the onryo sort of scary girl with like wet hair type thing 
and uh like i i i love that uh that sort of uh that milieu that that look and uh it 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 kind of reminds me of a lot of movies from those even the ones that like uh like had less crossover appeal in the west uh where it's just this scary ghost tale and there's some sort of like uh morality connected to it and there's a thing to do with like uh, an unspeakable act was done in a place and that's caused the uh the uh the ghosts to uh to you know punish this place and anyone who comes in and out of it but i like how this one in a way almost seems to be like stacking mythologies and uh like pulling you into this uh like this is this void so like so there's so many pages where it's like black uh, and then there's a thing in there like eyes or a mouth and stuff like that and uh yeah i don't know it gives me the fuzzies in, in that sense where i'm just like yeah i like the, the feel of this type of stuff like <laughs> i like faces just appearing out of the dark when you're lighting cigarettes and stuff like that like that that's a i quite find that uh, I find that to be quite fun, but yeah, I don't. I, I'm not sure where it's going, or even if if there's a landing to be stuck. But from what I read, I did enjoy just getting getting lost in it, and uh, uh, like there's, I think there's just like a lot of really like well rendered panels and a lot of um, good sort of build up and, and setup of like. Um, freaky uh goings on uh i think that it, it does a good job to sort of I don't know, instill you in like a place and time that like, there's so many for me outright like just the idea like i don't really get terrified by reading the book but the idea of it is quite terrifying like i find like being out alone in, in like rural areas to be like not a thing that i want to do like mm -hmm. big open farms and field lands and stuff like that and i do like how this sort of fills those margins just with like creepy goings on and voids and hair beasts and uh, people being spooked uh, like uh, and not really knowing how to make sense of it all and like a, a level of superstition in there as well like i think like all of the elements are, qu are quite nice and I'm, like i said like I, I don't know how they all stack together but from what i read um it, it worked for me yeah there's some really like interesting sort of like disparate elements that that managed to bring together and weave into the whole like you've got Agushi, this is this god of hair this lovecraftian element that presents a cosmic that presents that it's present in in its cosmic force is barely understood but worshipped um and like i do you know what i i even tried like because no i haven't got like a proper radio anymore but I wanted to sit there and try out some of the frequencies just to see what would happen. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't find the equipment to do that or a way of doing that. Um, but I'd love to know if anything does happen if you listen to the specific frequencies. Um, probably nothing. It's probably just static. But yeah. Uh, it's... Um, so... Like the, even the covers for the books are a play on this theory of like a radio receiver fused with a human head, and it's like that body horror element, even even there in the covers. And like like Ray was like you were saying, Rahul, like these these twisted contorted horrible faces throughout. Um, and I think there's something really unsettling about 
faces like that where like the mouth is is too big or or the smile is too wide or they just look over i don't know it, it's the same thing that the apex twin music video does for does to me <laughs> like it, it's just it's that it, there's something about it that is really really strange um there's something about them for like i'd say 60 percent of them i find quite cute and then there's always the one or two that i'm like oh no actually that touched something that i like yeah deep in a noble and that i don't like <laughs> in, in the depths yeah. of my soul like so it's, yeah it's a that's a it bag yeah yeah deep unknowable it, it, deep unknowable is is a lot of what makes this 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 book frightening hmm. uh if it is frightening for you but like um so one thing i wanted to bring up about this actually was that the the writer stopped uh it, masaki stopped in 2018 with volume six hmm. um after um after he quit for the sake of his own sanity. So he got to volume six and then he apparently quit for the sake of his own sanity. Um, he references various, there's an interview thing that I read um, where he references various supernatural happenings at his studio. And um, like, apparently he found like a broken uh, idol in a roof space. Um, and then he was having like various health problems and illnesses that he attributes to these supernatural happenings. Um, like so so his work got under his own skin maybe a little bit i don't know but like it's um if i can find uh there was an article actually i did i think i um i might have sent it to you guys um it's on um sportskaida.com uh, and this is the article i got this interview from uh and it's towards the end of it where they start um it starts to talk about how he sort of like uh, started to see his assistants were saying they were seeing shadowy figures around the office. Um, and these were like either full blown people or just crows at windows that were closed. And everyone came into contact with things either, with these things, either suddenly quit or fell ill. Um, and, um, yeah, he, he, um, he had all sorts of um, issues when he moved workspaces and things into this other work and things like that. So um, he's saying that it's um, he he's he's attributing these supernatural happenings to um, these to the workspace he was in and to the fact that he um, supposedly found this broken idol um, in a roof space. Um, wow! And it's not um, to downplay any of like yeah. sort of the negative. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like uh, mental health uh, things that this would have led to. But man, I would love to write something that spooked me uh, so hard that I had to like <laughs> just stop for fear of my own sanity. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't just his mental health, it was his physical health as well. He developed this, um, this disorder that stopped his blood from clotting and he had to go into hospital for ages. Like, things like that. So, I don't know. But yeah, he, he found, he, he could hear scratching in the attic and he found this broken shrine and it all just went downhill from there. <laughs> so take away from that what you will. Um, but yeah, it's, I it's, imagine, yeah, writing something that goes so hard, it gets under your own skin and you're the person writing it. That's just some, <laughs> that's, that's another level, right? I mean, Leon, have you never spent a week writing a report and then at the end of it, looking back on it and thinking, having like an existential crisis about what the fuck am I doing with my life? Like, I feel like that's on the same level. I don't know, because I don't really feel ownership of that. That's like, it's work for hire type thing. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs>
Yeah, it's a bit different. No, I get your point though. I would I would love to be able to have like be able to pull that out of myself and be like, oh, you messed up. Yeah. But these these uh six volumes, um definitely they they I mean like I am looking forward to reading the next four mm. because these first two go hard and um yeah, um short sharp strokes, fraught jerky pacing, it all adds to the overall strangeness of this gnarled transmission. Um and I think part of the fear of this book is created uh part of the fear in this book is created due to this this, this by the fractured nature and this this weird kind of like changing of if you put yourself in the headspace of a radio just swapping frequencies and like you're just getting these kind of like garbled imagine being awake at night and just your radio just by itself just going from just picking up random crap um in the dead of night and you just getting these these stories told over the radio like one by one and then punctuated by all kinds of weird stuff like oh man yeah i'm not gonna sleep but yeah <laughs> this is the thing not, not to go on on a tangent but like uh i i, I look forward to i don't know a, an effective version of the sort of digital versions of these things because i think like obviously we're like elder millennials who are on the cusp of uh, all this stuff where it went from analog to digital but like man you can get so much mileage out of like static on a tv or a radio uh, yeah, I know, right? I know. Are you talking about so? So you you want dab radio PTSD? No, it, it's because it, the thing is it, that when that stuff like glitches, like we've all had it with like our Sky or like our Freeview box when we're all still watching TV. When that pixelates, it's just annoying because it's just like it, it doesn't. It's not. I mean, I've seen. I have watched movies that have used the the digital like pixelation horror to an effect. But like it's not the same. It's it's less airy and more sort of like yeah. like glitchy. Like, like it's it's unsettling in a, in the sense that it's like the thing's broken. But there's something about static, whether it be on on a radio, on a TV. It's like it's the unknown. It's like it's like the wall between two realities. Or like something could be hiding in the digital bushes. Like like that fuzziness that analogness anything could be hiding in there because we don't know how to pass that it's different from like analog glitches yeah and, and yeah uh, sorry i was just gonna say like digital seems to have like in terms of our uh, list, uh, connections with it it's uh, like uh, like its own things so it's like channel one then channel two or it's like you know this mm. channel this this web page or whatever whereas analog like radio and tv it always feels like it's, it's an in-between that we're going between them mm. Am I right that digital radio is DAB radio? Sorry. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, I, 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 like, I don't know how relevant it's been there. <laughs> yeah. But like, um, so, so what you're saying is you want Spotify PTSD? No, what I'm saying is that like, uh, it will be something that I, an application of it that we don't even consider. Because a lot of the yeah. stuff I've seen in movies in the recent years that deal with like the digital ghosts, yeah, it's not the same. Uh, uh, um, and I don't see it to be like a boomer and be like, back in my day, but horror was better because blah, blah, blah. But I just haven't, and this is partially ignorant because I haven't seen or watched everything. But like, um, I'm really curious to see like the really good uses of that just because I think like the analog era just, it just had so much mileage for that that type of like there's something just beyond the infinite there there's something just beyond yeah. the space there's something in the margins waiting for you something like a cursed mp3 
um, <laughs> that interacts with the operating system to create uh, to to uh, and and it, the cursed MP, MP3 represents one half of the of the um, the intelligence, and the operating system makes up the other, and it creates. It's basically it it, it unlocks the potential for your computer to become a demon. But even that was cooler in the '90s when you had like floppy disks with the clickety clack and then the noises yeah. of the motor going and stuff like that. Yeah, and the Intel was dial-up as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's funny yeah. that you bring that up because like it's something that I wanted to touch on, but not until uh, everyone has caught up with it. Uh, is a game that I'm playing called Signalis. I know Leon, you're playing it as well. But there's an element to that where it's because it's it's a throwback to like Silent Hill and everything. There's a interactive radio element in that game, and it's just oh, it's, I I I miss that sound of like dialing between stations. So Greg, if you if you want to be like get the heebie-jeebies from Radio Static, maybe play a bit of Signalis, get to the radio yeah. section, and just yeah, just <laughs> fiddle about with that for a while. I I think there's be, there'd be nothing more frightening than losing your entire Steam library. <laughs> just gone. I don't know. I've got to the point where I'm like, oh, I'm I, I'm numb to it now. <laughs> it's been it's all, all of that all those games that i bought have been sat there unplayed for years anyway. you just What's the just feel the enormous point? weight lift off your shoulders and yeah. just start crying <laughs> tears of freedom just yeah if anything it's like free from responsibility or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no yeah i mean i'm i'm an analog guy anyway i always will be like i like records i like physical books mm. you know so I think I think there's always going to be people like even in the new the new um, like because what you're seeing now as well is you're seeing um, people are going back to eight track tape like eight track tape is now cool again like people collect them so yeah. like we're seeing people going back to like tape albums audio tapes and things so there's always going to be that contingent of people that keep the analog alive because they just think it's cool mm-hmm. and I think I think that's why horror like this will continue to be perennial because there's always going to be people that keep it alive and it gets scarier the further into the future we get because then you've got this like rusty old radio at the back of the shed that normally knows (laughs) the fuck it is right and then it starts making noises like and and it's like it becomes something unknowable from the past rather than being something familiar that fucks with us on that level, if you see what I'm trying to say. Mm. So that's that's my argument against what you were saying, Leon. I guess poke as many holes in that as you want. Like chuck water over it. I don't think it was against because I, I didn't. I, my stance wasn't really in. <laughs> well, it's not in not an argument against, but it's a, a counter <laughs> to the points you made of wanting to see something that wanting people to play with digital more in horror. But I think that I think that analog works. It's more know. so. I think analog works so well. I was wondering how people would do it with digital. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Um, it would be interesting to see more of it, though. You're right. Um, and I think that draws us to a close for this week. So that has been Ace Comicals episode one three four. Um, that has been our return from our Christmas break, our very long Christmas break. Uh, <laughs> Um, thanks for joining us. You can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is the hub for everything we do. Twitter is still here, even though we, well, like, I don't know. Is it, is it, is it still going strong? Yes, what are you guys, 
yeah, yeah, Twitter's still there. We're still there on it's, Twitter. It's under resilient. Yeah, um, you can still find us in uh, in the clown zone. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. Ray, where can we find you? I guess on Twitter, at Monka, M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. We are also on Hive now as well. If you look for various comicals on Hive, we're there. Um, if you prefer your Twitter alternatives. Um, and um, yeah, the hub for everything we do is our main website. And you can find us anywhere you want to listen to podcasts. So we are available anywhere and everywhere. Um, that has been Ace Comicals. Ace Comicals, over and out.